Hello and welcome to a slightly late edition of the Grand Prix 24-7 podcast. I'm your host Will and as ever I'm joined by Ben and Paul to discuss the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix and the season finale. We're recording slightly late this week due to the fact that Lewis Hamilton was slightly late in his announcement that he'd be driving for Mercedes weekend this weekend. Paul, uh, obviously good to see that Hamilton has recovered from COVID-19 and is able to drive. Welcome back champ. I think it's amazing that he's back and it was so quick. Uh, yes, you know, there's nothing else you, I, I can say about it. It's just that his health is the most important thing. He's back in the car and I think he deserves uh, a great season finale because he's just owned the season. And uh, I think he's granted that and he deserves that. But at the same time, the fan in me, the, the drama queen in me, I'd really love to have seen Russell in the car. And uh, the fact that he won't is, is, is sad in a way, but that's the reality. That's the reality of Formula One. He had the, the night to seize it last week and he, he did. I th- I'd say he seized it, but uh, Mercedes let him down big time. But let's not get into that. That's the history. Going forward, I think it'll be a bit of a reality check for the kid back at Williams and you know, getting lapped and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, all I can say is welcome back, champ. And maybe he, you know, he ends the season with a win. Who knows? Valtteri Bottas is one of the biggest losers from this because he doesn't get that opportunity to bounce back against George Russell at maybe a more conventional track. Ben, do you think that for Bottas, the only way that he can kind of deliver any kind of signal that he's still a great driver is by winning this Grand Prix and pretty much nothing else. Yeah, it would certainly help. But I mean, part of me just knowing the way social media works thinks it's it's kind of a no-win situation because even if he beats Lewis this weekend, well, people are going to say, well, you know, Lewis wasn't at 100%. Uh, whether or not that's true, there's no way of knowing. Um, and then, as you say, like uh, he doesn't get this shot at redemption against Russell. And that's sort of the tough thing for him because that's going to hang over him now for the next 12 months. So I'll be interested to see how that... Uh, Reese's head and when it does yeah I think you make a good point there in that the doubt isn't as to whether Bottas can win the odd race over a season it's more can he beat Hamilton consistently and that's been shown not to be the case um, since he arrived at Mercedes in 2017 and yeah this is definitely going to be hanging over him Paul what's what's your opinion on, on, on Bottas I know that you were very impressed with, with George Russell last weekend do you think this is is the end of him is it just one more season and he's out? No, well, there's two things. What has this done for Valtteri? Well, it's confirmed he is the best wingman in the history of the sport, okay? And that's what it'll always be. He'll be the number two guy to Lewis's greatness. The fact that a guy got in the car for, within four hours is as quick as him. Valtteri says that if you understand Formula One and all, blah, blah, he said that in some article that we posted yeah, we, we all understand Formula One, mate. You either, you either win 10 races or you win two. It's just as simple as that. Valtteri's been given a huge opportunity to push Lewis in the best car by far, in the best team by far, and he's failed. So, you know, how many more years do you want to give the guy? But at the same time, Toto Wolff is shrewd. And I, as a team principal, would do exactly the same. Keep the status quo. I would say that in 2022... That's where Bottas will have to make way for, for Russell, especially if he, he he doesn't you know raise his game to the point where he's beating Lewis every other weekend. I'm going to put put it out there and say I would think that the next year will be the last for Bottas in the team if George still remains available. What about George going to Red Bull, guys? I think that given given his his history with Mercedes and how long he's been part of the organization. And I'm sure after they saw that performance, they're going to be absolutely certain 
about keeping him and they now know for sure that he's pretty much the real deal I think they'll do absolutely everything they possibly can to try and keep him so yeah I, I wouldn't necessarily be worried about that if I was Mercedes and I think George knows that it's only one more year to wait Ben what do you think uh yeah I, I'm mostly in the same boat it, the, the the thing as well is that um same boat as Will uh in terms in terms of I, I think he sort of you know just sort of Stay as, stay as it is, and uh, I think twenty come twenty twenty two, which is what you said, Paul. Um, you make the switch, uh, and, and it, it sort of makes a lot more sense to do it then as well because uh, you know next year they get to win the title no matter what. Um, the year after that, it might be a bit more competitive, so they might actually say say George is like you know upsetting the apple cart in terms of team chemistry. It might be worth it in twenty twenty two because theoretically. We're expecting other teams to be more competitive. Next year, you know, they don't need that headache. There's no reason to. And Russell's still very young. He'll only be 24, I think, in 2022. So, uh, you know, he's, he's not exactly uh, running out of time. Yeah, Tommy's on his side. You're right. That's one thing we tend to forget because he's so mature. Of this whole crop, he seems like he's in his mid-20s. But he's actually 22. He's the youngest of the bunch. I think only Lando is knowing the name. So, you know, the kid has really got a good head on his shoulders yeah there's there's absolutely no need to rush him obviously we know that he if if given a good car he could be right up at the front so it's frustrating to see him go around in Williams but you know at the same time there are a lot of drivers this year you know look at Charles Leclerc and the Ferrari there are a lot of good drivers who haven't been given the equipment it's just the way it goes sometime and I think that he'd be happy you know if he knows he's getting in that Mercedes for 2022 I don't think that's worth giving up for a Red Bull seat you know when you're going to be next to Max Verstappen for the next 10 years and that'll be a pretty tough ask anyway let's get on a bit more to the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix and with the championship tied up I guess the real thing to look at is that battle for third place and the fact that we have a number of drivers on the grid um, in their last races for the team so obviously at the moment we've got Racing Point in third on 195 194 points 10 points ahead of McLaren on 184 with Renault a further 12 points back on 172 Ben it's pretty much racing points to lose at this point. Uh, you would certainly think so, both in terms of uh, the obvious standing on the uh, on the on the, the standing on the standings, um, but also their uh, the way their car is performing right now. I think most people would agree that they have the best car. Um, so while their ten point gap to uh, McLaren isn't necessarily unassailable. Uh, I think the safe bet is that they extend that gap as opposed to uh, see it evaporate this weekend. I think the only thing at this point that could throw a spanner in the works potentially is that uh, grid penalty for Sergio Perez. I mean, he'll be starting at the back of the grid. Um, Paul, just to get your your kind of reflections, obviously we've got the last race for a number of different drivers, including Sebastian Vettel, Carlos Sainz, Daniel Ricciardo at their respective teams, while Sergio Perez could be out of uh, sport altogether. And Kevin Magnussen, Daniil Kvyat, and Roman Grosjean will almost certainly be out of the sport. Well, Ferrari, for sure, it's an end of an era, the Sebastian Vettel era that promised so much when it began and just didn't deliver. You know, end of the day, he's he's left with uh, his reputation pretty much tarnished by you know the car that they've given him, and he goes to Aston Martin to try and resurrect a career that you know won him four titles. So he's not a bad driver, but Ferrari just didn't deliver in terms of that and it's just sad to see him go because if anyone was going to take Ferrari to the highest that it deserved especially after Fernando Alonso also came close it was going to be Seb 
they're going to have two young guys in the car next year. I don't see glory for a long time for them. But this chapter, it's a sad one for me because I really expected Seb to be in there fighting for world titles. But uh, it's not to be, so that's it. As for Carlos, I think he did. it was a short romance with the McLaren. I think they really liked him and he'll probably always have a home there. But he's going on to bigger things. I don't know if they'll be better, but definitely at Ferrari it's going to be a totally different ball game. So this weekend is worth a thought for those guys because uh, they won't be in the colours that we've been used to seeing them. I think Kevin Magnussen got a really bad rap at Haas because he was a really, really good racing driver when he, when he got to McLaren. His first and only podium was his first race for the team. And it also, it also coincided with the downfall of the team when the team was really, really spiralling down. And by the end of the season, very much like Sergio Perez, uh, he was given the boot and he had to spend, I think, his season out of racing before the Haas thing sort of saved his career. But now, was it Renault then? He, it was Renault then Haas, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, he was at Renault for a guys. Yeah, yeah. But I think after the McLaren debacle, another driver that they mince-meated, uh, I think he was never the same driver. But honestly, I think it was a bit of unfinished business or... I had more expectations for him, and, and I would say this really out of my heart, is that I don't think he ever had the right kit to prove what he was all about. Uh, he's, uh, for me, he was a, he's a better driver than Romain Grosjean, but at the end of the day, you know, when you're driving a brick, it's very, very difficult. That he kept his motivation, credit to him, and I really think he's going to be a real star in America in IMSA because he's, he's a racer, he's a proper racer. No, I agree. I think that when you look at, uh, Daniil Kvyat and Roman Grosjean, you know, for all they've achieved, and you know, they both have achieved um, plenty in this sport. Both of them um, finished on the podium multiple times. They're both quick drivers on their day. I, I do think that it's it's probably fair to say that their time has come um, in Formula One. With Magnussen, I don't quite get that feeling. I think that he's still got a bit more to give, and unfortunately, he's kind of been a victim of the situation that has are in with with needing the the outside money. Um, so yeah I, I do hope for him that he can have a decent last race with the team you look back to, to Hungary this year when he started on the on the different tyres for everyone else and was right up at the front and battling you know that's the great Kevin Magnussen kind of performance that we've come to like and you think back to 2018 he was you know right up there battling for best of the rest um, in the driver standings while Grosjean was crashing all over the place so I, I definitely think he's a, an underrated driver and it, it it will be a loss of a, a, a quite a decent personality and a quite feisty driver on the track. Can, can I can I just mention one thing about him? You know about racing drivers, which is very difficult. And I think it's a, it's a very important point when a guy's career that probably didn't achieve what it should achieve is comes to an end. It, it, there's a certain sadness, especially a guy like Kevin, because these guys come into Formula One and they hot shots. You know, to be in Formula One, you got to do a lot of junior class winning. You know, you got to do winning at every level. And he did that. He ticked every single box. He was champion in his first Formula Four championships. In, he was f champion of Formula Renault. Uh, he was first in the Renault 3.5 series in 2013. And you know that the last race he won was in 2013, November 2013. Since then, he has never set a foot on, his, on the podium. Do you know what that must be for a racing driver whose whole, he's only wired to win and he's never, ever won a race since 2013. So you know what? I think Kevin will go. 
to IMSA and to sports cars and you'll win races and you'll realize that Formula One is not just about being a driver if you're good at the back of the grid. Drivers at the back of the grid, let them pay. Let it be Latifi's and that. But a guy like Magnussen, he'll be very well served and he'll serve IMSA and sports cars very, very well because he's a true racer like his dad. Yeah, no, I think well said. Um, before we go, we should mention the big news coming out of Ferrari today and that is that their CEO, Louis Camilleri, um, is retiring with immediate effect. Paul, I think this is probably your area of expertise. So if you just want to kind of explain the significance of, of this news. Well, I can, I can actually s- sum up Camilleri in one word. First of all, his family, okay, racing's in his blood. There's no doubt about it. And I wish him well. If it's, you know, he says personal reasons, one would imagine it's health or someone in his family, whatever it might be, you know, from all of us, may it be cool. However, judging his legacy in Formula One, uh, apart from his Marlboro days where he, he was pretty unseen, I would sum up Camilleri's six months or year, whatever time he's been in charge, as incognito. Okay, totally incognito. It sounds Italian. That must be an Italian word. Anyway, he, you know, whether whatever's happening to him has overseen a very very dark period in Ferrari history. And he's done nothing. He's done nothing to help Binotto. Binotto is, is to the point of ridicule in Italy where they're calling him Harry Potter without the magic wand. You know, that's how bad things are at Ferrari. It's a, it's a ridiculous situation. And basically, you have John Alcon, who's even more incognito, the invisible John Alcon, who I think is totally out of his depth in Formula One and has absolutely no clue. Because I'm going to throw this at you. I was thinking about this before the podcast. You, let's say you, Will, and Ben, separately, you are sons of a car manufacturer. You're Agnelli's grandson, mate. You can choose that. From that empire, you can choose. If you're into farming, you can choose to go and just hang out with the tractors. If you're into racing, you can go and run the Formula One team. You can. I mean, that's your God, you know, by birth, you've been given that right. This guy doesn't ever appear at Formula Ones. So obviously he doesn't care. He doesn't... So the ethos of, of Ferrari is passion, is the boss having passion. Luca di Montezomolo running onto the pit lane and getting run over because he's so excited. And that kind of character, that's what Ferrari is about, you know, emotion, passion, and in your faceness, and these are things that are, the current leadership has not shown. And I think Ferrari is headless at the moment, and I'm very, very concerned because this sport so much needs a strong Ferrari that we don't even realize until times like these when you actually see the team in the state that it is with two great drivers basically destroyed a four-time world champion's career and making Charles you know, really go over the limit so they're not producing on track. They've got no leadership structure. It's, it's, it's absolutely troubling times for, for, at Ferrari as far as I'm concerned. I'm, I pretty much echo what Paul just said. I think I, I, I don't have anything against Louis Camilleri. As Paul said, he was a bit incognito. I think he was uh, much better uh, on the, the corporate side. I think Ferrari share price has been quite healthy under his watch. Um, but the sporting side and what we care about as racing fans has been uh, pretty mixed. And 
as Paul said, like the concern isn't necessarily, you know, what he did or didn't do. It's that, well, now he's gone. John Elkan's taken on more responsibility. And this guy, the head honcho, hasn't really shown anything that would give us cause for confidence. Maybe that changes, but, and Paul makes this great point, is that he's not, he, he just, he's, he's now the CEO of Ferrari, but he's also, uh, you know, in charge of the Juventus football team. He's in charge of, uh, you know, on the board of Fiat Chrysler, um, he's got this, you know, the, the farming equipment, and whatever, and they're, they're all his responsibilities. So it would be unrealistic, I think, to expect him to personally engineer the turnaround Ferrari needs. And maybe it happens regardless, but that is a very real concern, I think. Yeah, for, for me, I think Ferrari just shouldn't underestimate the value of succeeding in Formula One. And I think if you just look across at Mercedes, you know at how valuable their formula one team and their success has been for their brand i just think that formula one you know it's the only marketing ferrari do you never see a ferrari advert on tv their their advertising is these cars that they build which are usually some of the fastest on the grid and some of the fastest in the world and that's just not the case at the moment so i don't think they should underestimate the importance of that fact um but as we are so close to the race weekend we'll leave it there we will back on monday to uh, review the abu dhabi grand prix and then in the off-season, we'll have plenty more, probably a bit of a deeper discussion about some of those drivers that are leaving the sport, coming into the sport, and changing teams. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye.